Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS Beatles stuff on a track-by-track -track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. How are you this week? I'm okay, and excited to have made it onto the, the album at last. Yes, at long last, well, at long last, we've only done two songs, but anyway, at long last we've struggled our way through the opening single and we've made it to the opening track of Please Please Me, which means this week we get to talk about I Saw Her Standing There. Um, yeah, what do you think? Well, you know, fresh slice of Chubby Checker-esque pop that just sort of sings of, of vibrancy and, and youthful delight. Do you need to say anything more? We could be done now, couldn't we? Edit, let's go home. I suppose we could do, but I feel like we feel we ought to make more of an effort than that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's, I really like I Saw Standing There. And I think after like the first couple of songs that we've talked about, which have felt like um, near misses, just like, it feels like we've, we're there, we've arrived, um, and we're kind of getting into the good stuff. Now, I, I'm I, loath to suggest that might be because there's a conspicuous member of the group on this rather than um, being absent for the last two. But um, yeah, good old Ringo. It's so nice to have him. It's lovely. It, and you can really hear the difference it makes. I mean, it's a great performance from everyone, obviously, but he's he's on this and it, it just it sounds so much more lively than, than the last couple of songs we've covered. Well, I think you can go back even further actually, because I think the whole thing starts in a way that we really should have started this today with a, a one, two, three, four. Once you've got that, that's like, oh, hello. Hello. Okay. Somebody's been having some sugar in their tea. You know, it's a real kind of, um, you know, here's the kick. Here's the thing that says, take a step back, folks. We're here to entertain you. So I think, you know, before even you get that, the sound of, of your friend Ringo, I think you get that sense of a band who are who know that they've got a limited amount of time to wow you. Yeah, definitely. And that was um, that was a George Martin decision to keep the count in. Um, and it's just one of those tiny little things that makes you appreciate um, how skilled he is as a producer, because it's not, it's certainly not um, the default setting. That's just not something that would normally be done. Um, and so to have somebody turn around and go, ah, you know, this works. Let's let's just keep it in. It, it's, it's such a small thing, but it's it's really such a smart decision and not just for the song but for the album i mean it really you know obviously it's an album opener it's a fantastically good album opener and that yeah just that counting just that one two three four and we're off and it's it does it has a real dynamism to it and it doesn't sound because it's mccartney uh, but it doesn't sound cheesy it doesn't sound corny it doesn't sound like it's being put on he sounds really enthusiastic about this um well, and i think that I think kind of helps. carries on so i think it helps actually what you get on this song is you know, because McCartney has many different voices. You know, John Lennon pretty much always does his nasal kind of dirge. McCartney actually invents a voice for, for different types of songs. Here we get what I like to call McCartney with a cold. It really sounds like he's bunged up when he's singing this. And yet it's, it's presumably a deliberate affectation. It's his way of doing that throaty rasp that you might get on um, Twist and Shout, for example. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a real kind of diamondism. And it's, it's interesting, you know, if I'm right in terms of what McCartney's doing, but age, what, 19, 20, you know, he's almost a consummate performer and going one step above everybody else by thinking, right, how can I have the greatest impact? What voice am I going to project in order to, to really sell this song to the back of the room? Because they're selling it to the back of the room. 
they're not selling it to the you know the girl in in the headphones this is a performance that they're they're actually transmitting the energy of of the cavern to the people listening at home yeah no absolutely and i mean i think mccartney particularly his kind of rock voice is kind of a little underrated i mean particularly next to lennon which okay you know fair enough he's you know traditionally mccartney was spelled here lennon was a rocker we know yeah. obviously it's it's not nearly um it's not nearly that simple there's a really good slightly off topic but oh well never mind there's a really good um mashup of um helter skelter and led zeppelin's whole lot of love um and it's astounding how strongly McCartney's vocals kind of stand up in in with like a kind of Led Zeppelin backing it's so re- I mean obviously that's probably his most extreme kind of rock voice on on Helter Skelter but it it works really well and I, you can kind of see the genesis of it on this it's obviously nowhere near as as uh, pushed as t- to that kind of limit but but yeah they kind of He's, you can feel, yeah, you're right, he, he's developing a voice, he's finding a voice for it, and it's the one that will kind of go forward to give those kind of those kind of performances. But it does give a real kind of uh, energy, a real kind of spark to, to I Star Standing There. Although, you know, thinking about it, much like um, um, PSI Love You, I was struggling for a moment to think of the name of the last song that we were talking about, which says a lot about the last song we were talking about. This is another one of those songs that has um, very limited amount of, musical variation repeated often to the fact that in this song you get is it two middle eights well i mean it's the same middle eight but it gets repeated you know the old boom room um you know middle eight it's uh you know it's it's another thing that 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 i think shows the energy of what's going on rather than the songwriting accomplishment so it's pretty straightforward but effective and as a result it's one of those things where, you know, you're not getting a lot of variety, but you're getting the drive that goes through and through and through and around and again and through. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, the song is all um, it's all seventh. It's all kind of bluesy kind of seventh, which gives it a little bit more of a um, an edge, I suppose, than if it was just kind of like straightforward uh, major chords. It's, it's a very, you know, simple song. It's only five or six chords. But but yeah, they're all these these kind of bluesy um, sevenths, which I think is like you were saying, uh, it's a bit kind of chubby checker, but I think it's that's probably what gives it that kind of feel. Um, and it does have a, I mean, I don't like using words like raw to describe, I sorry, because it doesn't say raw, but rawer, I suppose, than you know, um, most of the kind of contemporary music scene at least that was coming out of of the uk uh maybe maybe a little bit different if you start talking about the american music scene but you know i mean we've, we've talked previously about you know the songs that were in the in the hip parade at the time or whatever and you know um this is also the year that uh summer holiday was released uh, cliff richard you know that's the kind of stuff um yeah. that this was up against and and yeah musically it's it does have much more of an edge to it than that kind of very sort of blandly bland kind of blandness uh which is very bland indeed and and yeah that those those kind of sevens give it that give it that little that little push into you know just a different kind of space there you go and that uh, episode three is the first bit of technical musical expertise and uh, thank you very much and i think that's <laughs> yeah, done welcome. for the next the next couple of years um yeah um but then hey you know how to play the guitar that's why you're here why i'm here i'm not quite sure but that's okay i'm sure i'll find my rhythm eventually so we'll find you know that'll be fine (laughs) 
<laughs> you are right though, because if anyone thinks of the shadows as being um, you know, radical, because you know, looking at the album charts, for example, sort of to go away from the singles charts now that we're we're on the album, um, you know, apart from uh, musical soundtracks, you're getting Elvis and you're getting Cliff, uh, or you're getting Cliff in the Shadows, or you're getting the Shadows, and that's pretty much it in terms of number one albums which I think is quite interesting. So, you know, on the one hand, of course, what you've got is the fact that if it's really, really popular, it's never truly going to be revolutionary, potentially, because um, it's going to have to appeal to, to different markets. But here you've got something that's starting to push away from some of those other albums that have been number one, because, OK, Cliff and the Shadows may have sound radical to some, but we know that actually it's fairly generic in terms of, of you know what we might now regard as rock and that the elvis who was topping the charts in the early 60s is movie elvis rather than fit elvis so you know it's a it's it's kind of a bland old sort of time at the top of the the album charts and a one a two a one two three four is also effectively not just a i'm shouting to you at the back of the room it's also i'm going to kick you all in the nuts and and let's have some fun now admittedly I would argue that quite a lot of the album that follows, and I will argue as well, that quite a lot of the album that follows doesn't live up to that promise. So, you know, it's really good scheduling. You know, it really does sound like they put the strongest of the live songs at the front, the one that you want to grab the attention. So, you know, really smart move on that front. Because some of some of what's going to come is um, it's going to fill you with misery. Let's Let's just leave it at that for the moment. That's that's a very fair way of putting it. Um, I, we'll probably talk more about this when we come across um, one of the songs where there's there's um, maybe a little less to say. Um, but uh, please please me, it's a really well sequenced album. It's really really smartly constructed. You you open with this, um, you close with twist and shout, and you get the uh, you get the other big single slap bang in the middle. So even if there's like a few um, filler tracks, which I think it's probably fair to say that there are. Um, you know, you get you get like a solid beginning, middle, and end. You get in, you get to the middle, uh, sort of re livens your interest, and then you kind of get you go out on you know on twist and shout, and it's kind of you know great Lennon vocal. Um, and yeah, I suppose it this off. is this is the before people would have thought. Let's have a look at how you sh you actually um, put together a track listing for an album as well. And bear in mind that um, some of the well, the top three albums in terms of most weeks at number one come before this period, you know, with um, things like um, I think The King and I, um, you know, um, Sound of well, Sound of Music, I think was one, uh, no, South Pacific, and you know, if you've got an original soundtrack from a, from a musical, you don't have to worry about the, the track listing because it's the order in which it happens in the story, so that's already been thought of. You know, there is a narrative structure there that's been taken care of. Here, you've got a bunch of, let's face it, random songs, and some of them are pretty random, and someone then's actually got to sort of think, right, okay, well, how are we going to put this order together? Okay, where's the energy coming from? How are we going to make sure that, that someone is, is sitting up and paying attention when we need them to? But how are we going to make sure that we vary that? So it's a new form of, of, of well, I don't want to say art, but... I can't think of anything else to, to call it at the moment. It is a new art form, not just the recording of the album, 
but they're putting it together and saying this is the order that's going to have the biggest impact. I think it is an art form. I think I think it's um, a very underappreciated one. Uh, but there's a real skill to being able to sequence tracks in an order that makes them work. And yeah, this is definitely, I don't know if it would be the earliest example, but it must be up there um, in terms of trying to put this kind of album together. And anybody who's ever tried to put together a playlist or, or if you're old enough, mixtape or whatever it happens to be, you know, I, I adore making playlists and, and, and always have done. And it's I really love the skill that's involved in finding you know, the way to sequence tracks into each other to carry a mood or to carry some kind of um, feeling or whatever it's about, it doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, those kind of skills are, I think they are an art form. And, you know, Please Please Me is a, a f fantastic example of it. Um, yeah, it's definitely a skill. And in the interest of full disclosure, I should say that, that you said the word I was struggling to remember, sequencing all the, all the way through my little rant a few minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, track listing, ordering, structuring, uh, just, yeah, sequencing was the word I was looking for. There Thank you, JG. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Um, but no, it is a real skill. And also, I mean, when we're talking about this kind of being raw, or at least rawer than, than what was in the charts. Um, you know, the lyric does kind of feed into that as well. So when you're, you're open, your opening song on the album, it's, it is going to be, uh, an original, a McCartney Lennon original. Um, you know, you want to have that edge to it, I suppose. It's not like some of the others are uh, the, on the album are, are, you know, just they're just standards, and and they have that kind of lyrical rhythm, I suppose, of of standards. You know, it, it's it's nice or it's a bit, but yeah, I know it's talked about a lot. But that opening line, you know, she was just seventeen. You know what I mean. And it's kind of, it's innuendo and it's kind of winking and it's a bit more, yeah, it's it's not summer holiday. Um, and that that kind of, that kickoff for the opening song on the album, it, 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 it's, it grabs you lyrically as well as, as well as with the counting, as well as with the, with the music. Yeah, I, I think raw is, yeah, I think more medium rare than raw, but it's, it is worth making the point, isn't it? That as you mentioned earlier, McCartney is often seen as the balladeer. And yet, this is quite raunchy. I mean, this is still a long way ahead of let's spend the night together. And we have two people spending their night together with their bodies locked tight. To, and, um, and, you know, the eye falling in love at the end of it. So, I mean, this is, this is pushing the boundaries in terms of, of what you might consider McCartney, the McCartney of, say, Eleanor Rigby, to be to be writing about or the McCartney of yesterday or or hello goodbye you know this is you know this is pretty out there stuff um yeah no i agree i mean i think it was lennon that that came up with the um um you know what i mean line um but but the but he according to him lennon who's not shy of taking credit for other people's work uh, he contributed almost nothing else um to i saw standing there so um so the rest of that lyric is is mccartney and yeah it, it is kind of it is kind of pushing it out there and yeah then you have the kind of the bluesy sound of the chords you have you have a slightly out there lyric and and you have a, a really excited performance I'm, I'm gonna have to talk about george harrison's guitar solo now um but it's pretty good it's got a bit it's got his gretch out and and uh it's one of those 
again, we'll get into this when we go through more songs in the album, but it's not George Harrison's strongest album, <laughs> musically speaking, I think it would be fair to say. Um, and I don't know, it, I, it's not a perfectly delivered guitar solo, but that a perfectly delivered guitar solo, I don't think would suit the song. You can hear that his timing's slightly flawed here and there. Or it's not quite being perfectly executed, but that kind of suits the song. It's not a song that demands perfection. It is a bit rough and ready. And so the fact that the solo isn't quite perfect is also kind of perfect. It's a song that you're meant to dance to more than listen to, though. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So it works in that sense because it is something that keeps up the tempo keeps the rhythm going, keeps the feet moving on the dance floor rather than, than you know, having some muso, no offence, uh, sitting around going, hmm, yeah, okay, right, mm, that note wasn't perfectly, um, you know, in sequence with everything that went before, you know, so it's fine. I, I think most people, if they're listening to it, aren't listening to it with the same, um, you know, critical, um, level of critical application and thinking, yeah, that works, okay, I still feel the energy of the song. Okay, great. In fact, most people probably have assumed it was John Lennon anyway. Who knows? Um, well, that's possible. Because, yeah, which is fine, because I think most people aren't really that worried. But then most people aren't listening to this. No, well, not yet. Give us give us time <laughs> to build up an audience. We should have started with one, two, three, four. Then, then that would have got them. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, we're not as smart as uh, George Martin. That's 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 the takeaway from this. Stick that uh, on the headstone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Not as smart as George Martin. Uh, that's okay. I, there are worse epitaphs in the world. Anyway, right. Yes, good. So, ah, uh, um, and it's yeah. You mentioned it earlier, but it's under three minutes. Is everything on on Please Please Me is? Um, it's an incredibly short song, but um. I don't know. There's such an energy to it that that just even on even on Love Me Do, a song I do I do genuinely have a lot of affection for, um, and you I, I think I said back then that you can hear that they're very enthusiastic about this silly little song. Um, yeah. When it comes to this song, you can hear they're enthusiastic about it, but I don't think that they think that this is a silly little song. There, yeah. this is this is a hundred and ten percent, and they. I, I mean, you can never know, but they must have known that this is streets ahead of almost everything else. I know, I know, it got a lot of play in the yeah. cavern, a lot of play in Hamburg, but um, it must have stood out. There's there's something of the the rhythm of a train, and when you go through that that middle eight, you know, the the um, the rhythm section are really driving that song along. You know, there's there's uh, you know quite a um, you know a forceful bass line that McCartney is is not just singing you know, this powerful vocal, but he's driving the song and driving the rhythm along with Ringo, which is which is pretty effective. And that's the kind of thing that makes it so much better than than the likes of, of The Shadows as well, which is much more kind of plinky-blonky, let's all play the guitar, but there's no drive from from that rhythm section. It's all about Hank and his um, his Fender Stratocaster, or whatever it is. I don't want to appear to be too much too knowledgeable on, uh, on old Hank Marvin. Um, so I think that makes a, a big, big difference. I think it also stands the test of time, which is interesting because, you know, if people have a grumble about this, understandably, they would grumble about the, the whole 17 thing and ooh, isn't that a bit creepy? Because, you know, you will know, um, McCartney still sings this live, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah. I mean, I mean, almost everybody sings this live. It's pretty much a standard by this point. But yeah, he still plays it live. And how old is he now? Uh, 
Um, oh, let's just go for let's go for for not seventeen anymore. I think that's certainly a safe assessment. But I mean, he wasn't yeah. seventeen when he wrote it either. So yeah, but you know, in terms of you know age difference, you know, eighteen, nineteen. Uh, a hasty Bing informs me that it's uh, that Paul McCartney is seventy nine at time of recording. And well done him. I don't want to be too judgmental, but you know, doesn't there, there come a point where you think? Um, well, hopefully he will at least caveat the song with a, look, guys, I wrote this when I was young. You know, times are different now, but, you know, don't think for a moment that I'm standing here looking out into the audience and going, oh, look, there's a 17-year-old girl. You know, um, I just think that now it seems a little bit, uh, we're a little bit more aware, aren't we, of the way in which music can sound incredibly creepy. And I think as long as we remember that at the time this was written, it isn't quite as creepy as it sounds now. No, I mean, that's certainly true. And I think that when it comes to um, this, I mean, it's, you know, it's not, you know, you're 16, you're beautiful in your mind, uh, or, you know, um, sweet little 16 and, and all those kind of stuff. It's 17. It's like a little bit older. It's a little bit more mature. Um, so, you know, it, I, it's a little yeah. bit of Cultural context is very important, but, you know, it also comes back to what you were saying. And, you know, like most people probably weren't listening to the lyrics, you know, most people probably wouldn't be. I mean, obviously, this is music that was aimed at teenagers anyway. Um, but, you know, most people probably weren't that fussed. And, yeah, obviously, we try to be um, a little bit more aware. But I mean, this isn't even close to being, you know, it's not young girl. Get out of my get out of my life. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. there, there, there's worse. Um, and yeah. Neither is it. And, and I think the lyrical difference is important. Let's spend the night together. But it's on the way to it. There feels like there is an element of, of mutuality to it. Um, although, of course, you know, again, in the interest of, um, you know, um, I suppose to closure, the female doesn't actually get a, a voice in this. It is obviously all from the uh, from the, the, the young McCartney, the eyes point of view. So we just sort of we're going to take his word for it that when he held um, her hand in mine, that, you know, that was that was all above board. But, you know, he falls in love quickly. It's, um, you know, but then lyrically, pop music doesn't work if you're going through a full narrative from, oh, well, I, I, I first thought about um, having a conversation with you through to, um, OK, now I am I'm going to ask you out and everything's OK because we've got mutual friends and and mutual hobbies and we find each other mutually attractive. It doesn't work like that. And especially with this rhythm, it is all about this. I saw you, you saw me. Well, hey, aren't we fabulous together? You know, it's it's pop. It's it's not, you know, Shakespeare's sonnets. No, Although don't true. get me started on those either. No, uh, the Shakespeare sonnet podcast will be upcoming, no doubt. Um, I think you do those also... in order too. <laughs> well, what, how else would you do them? Um, <laughs> re reverse order. That's how we should do them. Shakespeare sonnets in reverse order. Um, yeah, good. Um, no, and it's interesting that it's the only song that all four Beatles have covered. Um, George Harrison's played it live, Ringo's played it live, and of course, John Lennon's played it live, his very last live. Um, and it's. I bought that, that single. I mean, not in 1975, admittedly, but um, in, in Beano's in, in, in Croydon. I remember coming across that, um, and I think it's the only Elton John record I've ever bought. And, and gave it to me. to this day, it's one too many. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the profound sense of disappointment upon listening to that, 
thinking, oh, isn't this great? And and I think I probably bought it in, you know, it was maybe about sort of 17, 18, um, you know, so still that kind of, uh, still that sense of just discovering um, the Beatles for me as a, you know, sort of my musical tastes were developing and then reaching back into the past and finding out the things that influenced the things that I was listening to. Um, and I think by that stage, I must have bought all of the albums because then you're looking around for other things. You're thinking, all right, OK, well, which of the solo albums should I buy? And, you know, at some point we'll talk about my relationship with with Tug of War, which is one of the very first albums I ever owned. Um, but I remember buying this and thinking, well, OK, but this this must be good. Oh, OK, isn't it great? It's got this little bump on here about how it's Lennon's last live performance. Oh, this must be something that's that's worth owning. And let's put it this way. I don't know where my copy of that single is today. I, I do. It's in my hallway. You gave it to oh, me. Oh, did I give it to you? <laughs> yeah, oh, I know precisely. I love things must pass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, I remember both giving you all things that, that, that yeah. was a sincere and genuine gift because it's a wonderful thing in you know the original box but um i don't remember passing off that other piece of trash onto you um i forgive you um but yeah no i mean i'm, I'm extremely proud and, and happy to have the copy of all things must pass it's a, it's a wonderful album and um it very much occupies pride of place in my record collection excellent i saw her standing there doesn't um yeah it's amazing how bad it is and it's just incredibly bland it's it, i mean it's like all this stuff we've been talking about like it's a little bit raw for 1963 and it's sparky and it's it's sevenths and all this kind of stuff and it that recording with elton john just flattens it into nothing it could have been any song written by any person all the life is taken out of it. All the personality is taken out of it. Um, nobody sounds like they want to be playing it or have any enthusiasm for it whatsoever. Yeah, uh, yeah well, it sounds really like someone bad. who's not been on stage for five years. Yeah, and 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 never will again. And and yeah. like obviously the reason is tragic, but on the other hand, it, like if that's the quality of performance we're getting, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Um, you know, I mean, that was what seventy. Five, right when I saw standing there was released. Yeah, I think so. So it's a year before Wings released Wings Over America, um, and kind of that's McCartney, kind of at the height of his seventies live touring. And Wings Over America is a really good album, really good live album. And uh, the contrast between that and and the John Lennon I saw standing there is just night and day there's so much I, I really like wings over america i think it's a terrific album um but you can also hear that mccartney is really hungry on it whereas here on on i saw standing there lennon just doesn't want to be there i mean he makes jokes yeah. about it and all the rest of it and how he just wants to finish up so he can go and be sick but um yeah he just doesn't sound like he wants to be doing it late november 1974 Apparently. Oh, 74. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's a couple of years. Well, you know, November. Great. We're almost there. We're almost there. So, um, yeah, it doesn't make it any better. No, no, nothing is. It's terrible. Uh, but it's not the worst cover version. Um, it's definitely not the worst cover version. And I, I can only apologize to both you uh, and to the listeners because I have to mention Tiffany now. Um, bless her. You know, oh well, I think gosh. it's it's worth mentioning that you've listened to it so that nobody else has to. Yeah, I've 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 suffered for my 
Art? Well, this anyway. Um, it's... Oh my god. I honestly don't know if I can ever recall having heard quite such a bad cover version as the Tiffany version. Like, I... I, I sort of secretly don't mind I think we're alone now. I sort of I don't think it's a good song, but I think it's a good I think it kinda of captures that kind of sort of mid teens kind of slightly delusional um sort of, you know, we're in love kind of ridiculousness. I, it's not a great song, but I, I, I don't entirely dislike it. Her version, I saw him standing there, is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. It's like the bastard love child of Sunita and Shawadiwadi. It's just so, so terrible. Uh, please, please, please don't go and listen to any more of it. Um, it so, I mean, the Elton John version, uh, or Elton John, John Lennon version is bad. It could be worse. I, I would highly recommend the um, the Little Richard cover. Um, I, I find that to be uh, uh, quite a good fun. It's, but it is another one that, that runs out of steam. Um, and Certainly, I think I get some credibility uh, in terms of recommending uh, Little Richard over Tiffany. Um, although, in fairness, at least you are saying, don't listen to Tiffany. Um, yeah, I am, I I am I'm, are, I'm strongly saying I that. I think it's quite, quite interesting that there are, um, you know, there's probably nearly 200 cover versions recorded of um, I Saw Her Standing There. Love Me Do only had about 100. P.S. I Love You was sort of about 30. Now, again, a lot of them are... Um, as with the other two from, you know, compilations of Beatles tracks. Um, so then if, therefore it's, you know, like the, the Little Rich one is, for example, uh, from the, um, I think, famous, but should be even more famous, black artist sing Lennon McCartney album, um, which is just frankly a work of genius. Um, but then there are the, the standalone ones like uh, Ms. Tiffany. Um, but it's, it's quite funny how many covers of i saw her standing there that paul mccartney seems to be involved in um and there are quite a few uh, including one with um uh, billy joel for example oh, um, yeah. and i'm pretty sure when i was looking through there were a few other ones as well and um, billy joel who of course is the poor man's elton john <laughs> that's that's harsh is it i don't know maybe it's not at least elton, at least uh, at least billy joel had the decency to stop yeah okay well in hey that's the uh, yeah, Elton John, once he's able to resume his final um, uh, tour, is about to stop. So, you know, he's in there. Um, and, and I'm sure they will both be truly hurt by uh, uh, by my, my comments and just simply have their billions of dollars to keep them warm at night. There's always something, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. 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 See, none of these covers particularly make me want to um, listen to them. Least of all, Mick Jagger, Bruce Springsteen, and the Rock Hall Jam Band. Um, yeah, almost certainly at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Exactly that, yeah. yes. Dinah Ross and the Supremes. You know, Dinah Ross and the Supremes could be worth a, um, a little listen. Um, but there's not much. It's, um, it's, yeah, the Beatles acoustic trio. Mm. See, uh, it's right. just sort of more more of my point that you know what you're not getting uh, is um, you know musical originality. You're just getting um, I want to say tokenism or cashing in, but you're getting people who are cashing in. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And I, it, I mean, it's definitely 
I suppose this is something that will come across sort of fairly regularly when, when this question gets posed, but I suppose it has to be posed at some point, which is, who's going to do it any better than the Beatles anyway? And, the, and nobody's going to do a better version of this song than the people who did this song. Now, well, there may be... That's there may be a, all Beatles songs, though. No, it's not true of all Beatles songs, but it probably is true of the vast majority of them. Okay. I okay. think it would be fair to say. And yeah. and this one does just feel like it has so much of their personality kind of shot through it that it, it it's it's going to struggle to survive, um, you know, that kind of interpretation from, from somebody else. I must be honest, I haven't heard the Little Richard version, so I'll go away and listen to that once we've um, finished recording. Yeah, and I will update you upon my opinion next, next episode. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but sort of beyond that, because, I mean... You know, a few people have more personality than Little Richard. I think it's fair to say, but beyond that, I mean, yeah. it, it's just it's so them. There, there, there are few songs which um, sound more like the Beatles than I saw her standing there. It's it's kind of one of their defining tracks. Yeah, I'd I'd say that's fair. I'd say that's fair. Um, yeah, because I mean, having done the whole thing in terms of well, you know, yes, actually there there are some. Um, Beatles covers that are better than the Beatles to be honest the only one I'm really thinking of is Joe Cocker's with a little help from my friends um, hard disagree so. I, I no no I do not agree uh, <laughs> this will have to be an argument for uh, a later time um, yeah about about 18 months time I think yeah let's uh let's table this 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 end of a friendship discussion before <laughs> for the next 18 months then we'll we will return to this I uh, I uh, need to drag us back to this song right okay good um boom now yes so what good no I'm I'm still I'm still reeling I'm still reeling okay that's fair enough we, we'll uh, um yeah um, mm. it'll be interesting then uh, talking about this in comparison with the, the songs uh, that come after um, because I think there has been in my view dear listener a little bit more energy to this conversation than with PS I Love You and I'd be interested then just to sort of get a sense of whether or not we can inject the same level of enthusiasm um, for the next few songs as we've managed to do with this one or whether some of the um, um, some of the barbs come back um, because I think it's quite difficult to, to be on a downer about this and even you know raising some of the points that other people might raise um, you know about it we, we sort of dismissed them and said yeah but it's it's just really good fun you know some of the songs that that, that follow on the album are contextually better than their contemporaries but they're not necessarily really good fun um that's a fair way of putting it, yeah. I think, well, next week will be an interesting challenge. <laughs> See if we can manage to stray half an hour out of a song, which is one minute and 49 seconds in length. Um, yeah. 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 I, I, I think, there's, yeah, it's, um, it's a complete change in tone, isn't it? It's a complete change in mood. It's a complete change in, in pace. Um so, so that'll be um, that'll be a relatively short discussion, I think, and then we could we could pad that out with um, um, with all kinds of things. Who knows? Let's we could play Hangman, Beatles Hangman, just to pass the time. If you really do want to insist on getting up to thirty minutes, well, let's uh, let's see how it goes, shall we? 
And I think that's probably as good a place as any to kind of leave it, since um, we've seemed to run out of things to say about this song, and we're starting to talk about next week's. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Lovely. Um, thank you. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at uh, Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Beatlesstuffology. And you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, reviews on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Next week, as you may well have managed to intuit from our conversation this week, we are going to be talking about the second song on Please Please Me, which means we are going to be talking about misery. And that's probably what it's going to be. Anyway, we shall leave it there for now. And until next episode, keep listening.